0: Hi, welcome to 99% Fad Free. My name is Tara and I'm a straight-talking, no-nonsense, qualified nutritionist. I hate diet culture and wellness wankery and love teaching people just like you how to steer clear of all the nutrition nonsense so that they can live a healthy life while having a good relationship with food. In this series, I'll bust some popular nutrition myths interview experts in nutrition and health and just have a good old yarn about all things food, cooking and of course nutrition. I'll break down the difficult nutrition science for you and serve it up in easy to digest chunks of interesting information. All you have to do is have an open mind, be ready to learn something new and sit back, relax and enjoy the show.
1: Nutrition is one of the most confusing and also what's called one of the most messy sciences. in mm-hmm. um, you know, mind, I work and I love it. I live and breathe it, but it's, it's messy and it's confusing and there's a reason for that.
0: That's my guest, the marvellous Dr. Tim Crow, who I was lucky enough to sit down with for number seven of the 99% fad-free podcast and have a yarn to Tim about all things nutrition and why is it messy and confusing? What's the reason for this? Tim is a true professional. He is a university lecturer. He's been in industry for a very long time and I'll let him explain his background further as we get into the podcast. But you are so lucky to have his brain streaming right into your ears i can tell you that tim joined me to have a chat and be able to teach you the listener how to navigate this messy and confusing online world when it comes to nutrition what do you look out for He talks about his background as a scientist and he talks about what is a study. You know, you hear so much on the news articles online and the headline will be Study Finds X Causes Y. But what is a study what are the best studies to actually look at and get information from and understand and how do you actually even interpret these studies what do scientists do when they're when they're conducting these studies and what do nutrition professionals such as myself and Tim what do we use to inform our practice? What do we use as information that informs us as to whether a food is good or bad or whether a diet is something that should be um, promoted or not promoted? Tim and I also have a bit of a jibber jabber about things like celery juice and lemon water and the acid alkaline diet and blood type diet and guess what? He'll even talk to you about the new Game Changers documentary. Woo! -woo! Tim has just released his brand new podcast and I'm so excited for him. Uh, It's called Thinking Nutrition. Go over and search for his podcast, subscribe, download it, add it to your list and have a listen because he's got so much to share with you. I'll lead you into our conversation now where I was asking Tim about his background in nutrition, how he started and where he's been.
1: My whole career has been in, in research. I started uh, biochemistry, uh, doing honours in that, and then a PhD in, um, in medicine and endocrinology. I then moved into the field of nutrition and dietetics practiced uh, as a clinical dietitian for about a year or two, but then spent the next 16 years after that in the academic world, uh, teaching and research in the field of nutrition and dietetics, and now doing much, much more of the communication side of nutrition, so either in the media, uh, in writing and consulting work. So yeah, I'm loving it, combining all of that together uh, to follow the things that interest me the most, and obviously nutrition and health, and, and giving good, sensible, credible advice to the public is what I, what I, you know, what I live for, what I love doing. Mm-hmm.
0: I guess with so much uh, information now at our fingertips, it's really important that we do get it from someone like yourself. And and for those uh, who haven't come across Tim's work as yet, um, Tim is very, very highly respected in the nutrition industry. And as Tim has said, he has helped educate uh, many of the nutrition professionals and also through the research that he's done, guide a lot of the interventions and a lot of the treatment that has been given to people in terms of nutrition and i'd like to say as well as even been a part of writing one of the textbooks that is given to all (laughs) university students who study nutrition so if anyone is capable or qualified in being able to help us understand nutrition it's most certainly tim I'd like to ask you, Tim, as the first question to get right stuck into, is why is nutrition confusing now?
1: It, it is. Nutrition is one of the most confusing and also what's called one of the most messy sciences. Bear in mind, i work in, I love it. I live and breathe it. But it's it's messy and it's confusing. And there's a reason for that. The first one is it's actually really hard to do the research studies, more about what research studies are a bit later. It's really hard to do these the quality research studies to give you a clear answer. Uh, And the best sort of studies are where you intervene, you you give people a particular food or a diet uh, and you follow them for many, many years and you compare them to a control group. And they're called randomized control trials and they're considered the gold standard. Now in nutrition, good luck getting somebody to follow a vegetarian diet, a paleo diet, whatever sort of diet and stick to it, not only for months, but for years, while you wait for incidents of disease, uh, cancer, diabetes, heart disease to start occurring. It just doesn't happen. People can't uh, you know, stick to the prescribed diets for that period of time. So we can't answer the big questions with the best type of research. So we have to use lower quality research and that's called observational research. Observational research is you just observe large groups of people, you look at what their diet and lifestyles are like, you look what happens to their health over time and you make correlations between those and then you make some um, conclusions from that that's lower quality research but for in nutrition a lot of the research we have has to be observational because we can't do the big long-term randomized controlled trials you can do them if you give someone a pill that's easy to do but really people struggle to follow a prescribed diet or lifestyle advice even more than a couple of weeks. It's hard with humans. It's very difficult to do that. So it's difficult to do that research.
0: And on top of that, uh, some things we need to learn and understand about nutrition, such as uh, does eating, for example, five kilos of meat per week increase the risk of bowel cancer? What we would have to actually do to find that out is actually feed people that amount of red meat and follow them for a long time and see if they yeah. had developed bowel cancer. And what if it did cause that? Then then the researchers are responsible for that outcome. And we can't do that to people. So exactly that's why right. nutrition is tricky, isn't it?
1: it? It is. And a good example is, is smoking. There never has been, and there never will be a randomised controlled trial in smoking. You know, it would be the most unethical thing you could ever do. Mm. But all, most of the evidence for smoking came from observational research. But the thing is, the link between smoking and lung cancer is massive. It's about a 20 times higher increase in risk. In nutrition, we don't see that sort of cause and effect. The effects are much, much smaller. So mm-hmm. it's harder to, to pull out one particular dietary factor. You can adjust for it, but it's not perfect. Combine that with the fact we are incredibly diverse creatures. You know, how each of us responds to food is incredibly different. Even your gut microbiome, will dictate how your blood sugar goes up after you eat a piece of bread. And it's different between the two of us. This purely because on our gut microbes. Mm-hmm. Then we have obviously conflict of interest. Uh, that's an, an issue in all areas. I don't mean that the research is funded by big sugar. Um, you know, any industry group will fund research that is favorable for their own particular food, be it sugar, be it meat, be it broccoli, it's all the same. Uh, even researchers who are tied to a particular public narrative a particular diet philosophy, perhaps with the odd best-selling book or two, have their own inherent biases as well. So conflict of interest uh, is an issue. And then, of course, the big one is cherry-picking. Any link between any food or any nutrient and any disease, if you go searching, you can find some research to support whatever viewpoint you want.
0: So let's use Uh, an example, Tim. Say I was sitting here and I wanted to tell all my followers, for example, that keto helps you lose 10 kilos in, uh, very quickly. I could find that information very quickly, couldn't I?
1: Absolutely. In fact, that's a good example. Very short term, you can find those sorts of studies where there's a lot of rapid weight loss. When you start following those people after three months, six months and one year, the weight loss pretty much disappears on average. Pretty much every food you could find research to show that increases cancer risk or decreases cancer risk so if your agenda is to promote a particular viewpoint you can find some research to support that that's called cherry picking good credible science that looks at all of the research and comes up with a valid conclusion but nutrition research is messy and you get a diversity of uh, responses so that's, that's just one example.
0: Mm-hmm. So talk us through, Tim, what a nutrition professional or someone like yourself would do if they pose the question, is keto the best, the best diet?
1: So this is a, a, a hierarchy of, of evidence. Down the bottom is uh, animal studies. You know, if we find that scientists have showed that if you give a certain food to rats or mice and they increase the risk of diabetes, that's interesting, but it may not apply to humans. And then we, we apply that, up. I
0: guess, to the meat. So we can't give humans five kilos of meat every day to see if it causes cancer. But what we do in in a lab to find that out is we often give it to the to the animals, don't we, and find exactly it out right. Yes.
1: So animal studies are useful. They're interesting, and they then allow you to do more research in humans. But they don't answer the question very clearly because animals have very different physiology to us. So the next level up is what's called case reports or case studies. These are really just anecdotes, observations. Uh, We find that uh, there's a collection of people or patients who did well following a keto diet and that can help control the epilepsy. So these get written up as opinion pieces or editorial. They're interesting, but they're not strong evidence. Then we have the green and the yellow. These are observational studies. So this is called either a case control or a cohort study. This is just looking at large groups of people We look at their diet and their lifestyle and we make connections between them. But We can only get correlations. As we move up the pyramid, then we have the randomized control trial. We get a large group of people, We randomly allocate one group to follow one particular diet, the other group to follow another diet, and we then follow them over time. And because we randomized, all those differences between us, whether people smoke or don't smoke, whether they do lots of exercise or not, whether they've got certain genetic profiles, all of that gets washed out. It gets averaged out. In the randomization and getting to your question then the how do we really answer a question in nutrition research well rather than cherry pick we use what's called a systematic review or a meta analysis that's the highest level of evidence a systematic review is when you ask a research question to the, to the literature you search consistently and systematically you compile all the research together not just the research that supports your viewpoint and you analyze it in one pile and you come out with a conclusion based upon that. So it includes all of the research in a field. So a systematic review is really considered the highest level of evidence for developing clinical practice guidelines or making recommendations. For a lot of the public, though, they pretty much get near the bottom. They get anecdotes and case studies and, you know, an Instagram celebrity who lost weight by following a particular diet that carries much more weight compared to the top of the pyramid the systematic reviews, and the meta-analyses. That's where the top-level credible science uh, exists, at the top of the pyramid. In nutrition, though, um, stories tell um, a, a lot more than actually all the facts that the research has.
0: <laughs> that's right. And it, and it takes a lot less time as well, doesn't it?
1: Exactly, exactly. So, so, so back
0: to that correlation and causation for those that aren't in the science world, would you be able to explain that a little bit further?
1: Yeah. So an example of a correlation where where two things are uh, are related to each other, they change over time, but they don't actually cause each other. And I'll give you one of my classic examples I use. There is a very strong correlation between ice cream consumption and drownings. Therefore, eating ice cream causes drownings. Correct, Tara? (laughs) Or have I gone off base? No, what's wrong with my perfect correlation I've just spoken about then?
0: that's very incorrect so they've done a study which has shown the people that they've watched the people those observational studies and they've watched what has happened and they go and they actually ask the questions to these people, to, to a group of people all around Australia, for example, and they try and find out. All oh, the people who have drowned, have they eaten much ice cream lately? And they might find, when they put all that data into the computer, that the people who drowned, unfortunately, um, did actually eat more ice cream than the average person. But that doesn't mean that the ice cream caused drowning. No. Um, but unfortunately, not. that's what we see in the media.
1: Exactly. And exactly. And that's that's a correlation. What's going on there is it's not ice cream. ice cream. When do you have ice cream? In summer. What happens in summer? People go swimming. More people swim. More people drown. That's an example. That's the true cause is actually more people swimming. So we see higher rates of drowning. The ice cream has nothing to do with it, but that's a correlation. So in nutrition research, you can get all sorts of weird and wonderful correlations, but you have to ask yourself, is it valid? Is it likely those two things are related? So while we know that there is a uh, observation that people that eat lots of blueberries have low rates of heart disease, maybe that they have other health habits. People that drink lots of red wine have low rates of heart disease. Is it because the red wine's good or it's because that we you know red wine drinkers on average have slightly better diets than beer drinkers? Mm. So you try and correct for those, but you can never do it perfectly. That's why nutrition science is a messy science at times. <laughs>
0: So do you think that people who write about nutrition, uh, so journalists, for example, that might have access to studies that are actually published online and where they're published is in the journals, they might have access to these studies. Do you think that they interpret them correctly?
1: So I can answer from experience. I've spoken to probably hundreds of journalists um, over the years. Very, very few would be reading more than the press release. So when researchers... Uh, publish a study, they might, might put out a press release, and that gets picked up by the, the news outlets. And a lot of journalists, they will really just write from what's in the press release. And that's really the, uh, the sound bites that the researchers give them. Very few journalists would, would be able to read and understand the paper. So what they do, of course, is they go to, to experts at times. But the way the media works, it works obviously on clicks and, and getting eyeballs on screens. Um, if a study was published today that's showing fruit and vegetables helps lower your risk of cancer, it wouldn't even get reported because we know that that's been shown for many many years but if the opposite came out that researchers in Finland found that people that ate lots of fruit and vegetables had higher rates of cancer they would actually get a lot of press because it's conflicting and that creates a lot of the confusion so confirmatory studies don't get a lot of press but something new shiny and interesting does get press particularly when it's controversial so for journalists they like to go for the interesting stuff Uh, their ability to to critique the science is not wonderful but that's that's not um, an indictment on journalists. They don't have the skills all the time, mm. but then they need good credible experts to actually interp- interpret that uh, and say what it means as well. And obviously different news outlets do that to different extent. So you've got old name names. If you go to the Daily Mail, they would love a clickbait headline to do with any controversial research, whereas perhaps more the conservative press, you know, Age Sydney Morning Herald, Australian, much more conservative in their reporting. So even a bit of a tip already, if you're getting your nutrition sound bites from the media, Generally, if it's coming from the clicky, clickbait, the tabloids, it's probably not going to be the highest quality, whereas more the conservative media uh, will like, give a much more fair assessment and a balanced approach to nutrition research reporting.
0: <laughs> and going to your made-up study about vegetables in Finland causing cancer, which I do have to clarify... Um,
1: I don't. <laughs> made up.
0: But what when you actually might sit on your computer as a nutrition professional or or a researcher like yourself and then you actually go and read that 30 page Mm -hmm. study and what you often find is that yes there was an increase in cancer for example but it was zero point um you know it was just the tiniest little bit of amount and it could have been because the people who ate vegetables didn't do any exercise for example exactly
1: right all these
0: different types of things that the press release never said and the article that was published in the newspaper never said so it takes it takes something from here to here very quickly that doesn't it doesn't often line up does it
1: no that's right Right, so it's really what, what's the top line findings of the study and that gets reported or all of the important detail, which really, you know, this webinar can't give people those skills today. That's really what a research training degree is about. Mm. Uh, hence, you know, getting good sources of information that's been vetted and, and have people to interpret it for you. So, you know, you're getting a fair assessment um, of that work. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. So the media do try and do a good job, but but they uh, have their own particular biases and they'll go for more interesting research that, that gets the public's attention. And generally, controversial studies will get more attention than confirmatory studies that we already know
0: and i should link that to social media and i guess my uh, experience in the social media world and it's much you get a lot more likes on a photo that you post showing kind of out there nutrition facts than just the normal healthy eating stuff and so for me and for you as as well Tim I'm sure we don't run our accounts to get likes and to 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 get lots of followers but there are very there are quite a lot of people in the year 2019 that are that are posting things to get likes, to get followers. So mm-hmm. just like just like the the media, their aim is to get those clicks and to get those likes. And and so sometimes the more crazy they can sound, and the more and the more interesting that information is, unfortunately, it gets read a lot more.
1: Um, absolutely, and our reality then becomes a social media feed. So a lot of the, these mm-hmm. headlines, maybe all people read. And that's then gets absorbed into their into their knowledge Mm. Uh, and generally it's those sorts of headlines that attract attention it's the the thing that stands out that's different and that's going to be controversial uh and and new as opposed to confirmatory and boring and we don't you know we know about that already and and that could be the sort of if your agenda is to get followers and clicks and traffic Mm. you can play the game very easily um you have to sell out your scruples to do it in some ways if you want to misrepresent and uh, research but it's easy to do if if people want to and a lot of people do that and particularly when they're just pushing a particular agenda to sell books or sell product
0: and so as a researcher and you might have for example looked at the keto diet you may have spent 50 hours um, just to have a look one night as to the, the pros of the keto diet, but you also actively are looking, aren't you, at the cons of the keto diet. So you yeah. are look trying to get that balance to figure out and form your opinion.
1: Yeah, eg- exactly. So that's really called balance. It's appreciating that there's pros and cons for, for everything. What are the strengths of this bit of research and importantly, when you've been in a field for a long time, you can appreciate how this little bit of research fits with the, all the other stuff that goes on around it. Uh, nutrition is incredibly seductive. It seems so simple from the outside, like many things, you know, all you have going to do is eat clean and eat organic and you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll you know, be healthy and, um, um, doing marvelously, but nutrition is a lot more complex than what it seems on the surface. But it's one of the few areas that you can be considered an expert purely because you've eaten and gotten some health outcome. We well, don't, <laughs> you, I mean, nobody on this earth would get on a plane. If the pilot was somebody who just learned how to fly it from their, their Xbox. That's but in nutrition, right. hey, I'm going to get my advice from this chef or this journalist with this book to sell, with all these wacky ideas with no qualifications because it, just, it gels, you know, it's the vibe, you know, it worked for them, so it's probably going to work for me. So nutrition, we have to combat that. But rather than, um, you know, fight against it too much, I think it's better to consider a variety of sources for your nutrition mm-hmm. and, you know, what makes sense? Where's, where's most of the sane, sensible voices? What are they saying? And that's probably where the truth is going to lie because experts get it wrong far more than they uh, get it right far more than they get, it wrong. get and that's it wrong in any particular field, not nutrition, uh, any field.
0: Well, talk us through, Tim, the qualifications and the background, usually, of a researcher. So, if someone is looking into whether the keto diet uh, uh, promotes, um, you know, is useful in the treatment of epilepsy, for example, that's not just little old someone that's a hairdresser around the corner conducting that research is it what sort of background do they have
1: yeah so really anyone that's publishing research that uh, most likely they would have gone through a research training degree and the uh, the, the gold Stanford is a phd so that's just a, it's an apprenticeship it's an apprenticeship in research three or four years and that then on, on top a of degree. a degree
0: they already have in, a, in on that top
1: training. of a nutrition degree or a science degree or something mm-hmm. so there's that then there's honors then there's the phd so that's no different with someone doing an apprenticeship to be a plumber or a mechanic or anything in research, it's the same thing. That's your research training to give the ability to read vast amounts of research to understand it, to, to distill it all together, and come up with some valid conclusions. Not everybody. There can be differences of opinion and viewpoints but you've got a credible base of knowing what the research field is about. Uh, It's really hard to just fake that. Uh, It takes a lot of work in many, many years to to get to that stage. There's no shortcut, just like there's no shortcut for any particular professional skill. But for someone who's a card-coding researcher who publishes research in in journals, uh, typically on that team there'll be people with PhDs and then people who are on that research training degree as well. So they're learning the process. So they're the people you can count on.
0: And before a uh, study actually gets published, could you just really quickly run us through that process?
1: Yeah, so research, I mean, you can do research about anything. Research is just uh, in, uh, the endeavor of in- increasing knowledge of the human species. You know, it can be research in nutrition, it can be research in physics, it can be research in just learning about buying a new car. And we all do research to some extent. But in the, in the science field, research means. A formulating a hypothesis, which is just a theory in some ways of what you want to, to know. And then either conducting experiments to help answer your hypothesis. That's more intervention or doing laboratory work or collecting data. Or it may be what I call desk-based research, where it's actually reading the literature, such as doing a systematic review, and trying to answer a question. Uh, and there's a bunch of people that do this to, to a really high level. That's called the Cochrane Reviews. So uh, the Cochrane Reviews are, I guess you call it a journal, but it's a research process Where the highest level of evidence is put together to answer the really big questions and cochrane reviews are systematic reviews but they're of the highest level and that's probably the best source to seek out uh, your information so for anyone that's you know doesn't want to get a research training degree but wants to dip into the research a little bit i cannot speak highly enough of seeking out review papers rather than just a study that supports your viewpoint because that can only give you a little snapshot Look for review papers, particularly systematic reviews, and that will give you a very strong feel for the field because someone else has done all the work for you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the best research to look at if you want to dip your toe into, doing, into a PubMed search or looking at research papers. A review papers are the best ones to look at because it's very difficult to appreciate what the field of keto and weight loss is without getting all of that research together. And that's a, that's a bigger task to do.
0: Recently, there has been an example of someone who owns a nutrition program that's very uh, popular and makes a lot of money, and they recently brought out a, a nutrition pyramid in terms of the fruit that you can can and can't eat. And bananas were labelled as a um, special occasion food due to all the sugar. Okay. Um, and yes. you could only eat berries, avocados. Avocados, nutritionally classified as a fat. You, or you could eat lemons every day as well. And you could also eat coconuts um, because they were very low in sugar. Now, in terms of the research that went into why they were recommending that we couldn't eat bananas, after talking about all of this, there were, that we've just been discussing there was there was no research behind it It was just an idea you know and it, it went viral and many people are even still following it but it's really important that i think people if they're seeing this information that they start to think oh what what's the theory behind this and they might see it on social media or read it on online on someone's website it's okay to actually ask the questions of the people that are writing that information and say, oh, I'm just wondering where, where this information came from, what research was done, and actually start to critique it a little bit and start to find out where it's come from.
1: Look, that's an excellent suggestion. Just ask those questions. What's, what's the research? What's the evidence to support your theory that we have to avoid bananas? What makes bananas so different to all the hundreds of other foods that also contain sugar in them? And what about all this research showing that fruits eaten whole, Make sure a beneficial for weight control and a link with a reduction in chronic disease. They're the big questions you can ask and you will likely not get much of a response because you know that example you've given is really just made up. There's no basis for it whatsoever. No. But the only time you want to limit your bananas is if there's another cyclone in Queensland and we have to, they've been limited and they shoot up in price. But otherwise... <laughs> eat bananas if you like them if you don't like your bananas well don't eat them eat something else you know i'm not going to lose any sleep over it but as far as research goes you're not going to find anything saying bananas are bad for you really they're just a a normal healthy fruit to be eating uh, in any particular varied diet so enjoy them if you like them
0: lot of mum groups because I'm a mum now and um, so I've joined all those mum groups on Facebook and and one lady she she popped up uh, a, a question asking the mums I've just lost 15 kilos. I'm wondering if now I should use my experience and write diet plans and sell those online. That's right.
1: I want to change the world and yeah. give everybody my insight. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and, that's and, what and happens in nutrition. Yeah, you're an expert. Yeah, because that's you're, you're right. Amazing. And she said,
0: I've got all of this experience now and I feel, and honestly, she said, I'd love to share it with the world and inspire others. And I will just write what I did and then I will be able to help so many people in my life now absolutely hats off to her for wanting to help people (laughs) isn't that wonderful but there are many 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 people just like her who are wanting to with the best of intentions absolute best of intentions but sometimes when you sometimes you don't know what you actually don't know and that's what is a little bit frightening sometimes that some of the so-called experts i'm sure you would agree tim they only know this much out of this much about nutrition but because they only know this much, they think they know it all and they don't necessarily know all the stuff. They're not even aware of all the stuff they don't know.
1: Exactly. So you don't know what you don't know. And you mentioned, I mean, weight loss and comes up as a lot in nutrition. And just as an example, it seems very seductive. Just you know, eat these foods and don't eat these foods and you lose weight. But there's an incredibly complex called the social determinants of obesity. There's hundreds of different factors in your environment that will dictate whether you gain or lose weight depending on your social circle, your gut microbiome. Um, uh, what, what, what you live in. well, just, there's so many factors that, that influence what we eat. There's food marketing, uh, there's medications that you may be using, um, you know, mental illness as well as a factor. There are dozens and dozens of factors. So it's incredibly complex to just say, you just need to eat clean or just eat organic food or just eat these foods. When there's many other things that actually might be explaining weight gain or weight loss for that person. So just because one thing has worked for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. And where the danger comes is that when well-intentioned advice in nutrition uh, involves recommending people change their diets, cutting out foods that we know are inherently good and healthy and are linked with a reduction in disease, and changing that person's relationship with food, the perception of what good and healthy food is and is not, uh, and the sorts of food they eat overall. And that actually maybe be doing them you know, more harm than good.
0: Yes. And so yeah. well, I, I guess straight away the, the, the nutrients I see a lot of people cutting out are, are straight away dairy, um and gluten
1: and grains yep they're the most they're the most common ones and if you look mm. at look at whole grains admittedly it's mostly observational research but consistently they stand out as being linked with a reduction in the risk of cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes and cancer mm. but there's a difference between whole grains and what most of the grains australians eat and that's highly processed refined grains and that's going to be white flour you know donuts you know white bread and so on that's very different to whole grain foods So really, the 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 consistent dietary patterns uh, we see in the literature are a diet high in fruits, vegetables, um, nuts, seeds, uh, whole grains, and if someone chooses to, you know, some dairy foods, a small amount of red meat, uh, and um, and fish and chicken as well. So inherently, if you've got those basics right, you're eating pretty well and healthy. Our biggest health problem though is that a third of the average uh, calories each day for an Australian comes from discretionary foods, you know, soft drink. Confectionery cakes and so on. So that's where our biggest problems are, lie inherently. Whereas then... The, not bananas. The focus, and bananas. That's, that's not not bananas. No, not no. bananas. Not bananas. Like you said, add bananas to it. No,
0: no, no.
1: That's, that's where our biggest problems are. So the confusion is we get is otherwise healthy foods, people are being told to cut them out to eat less of. But really, that's probably not the case. and Most people don't need to follow that sort of advice.
0: Yeah, so it can cause a lot of nutrient deficiencies as well in terms of v, uh, zinc and vitamin B, iron and things like that in mean, cutting out things like whole grains, most notably as well, fibre too, which is so important for feeding our good gut bugs. If we, it, I, I do I do see a lot of people and they're downing the kombucha. and they're, much, uh,
1: yeah, that's yeah <laughs> They're
0: having all, all of the um, kimchi and sauerkraut, but, then they're also cutting out grains and they're, they're cutting out all this wonderful fiber that feeds those good gut bugs. So they're not going to live and survive in the, in down there, unless we feed them. So restriction can, and can cause its own problems in terms of nutrition, but Absolutely. but also yeah. socially as well. You know, I, I have friends that, that um stopped going out and, and catching up for, um for for dinner because they were just just really worried that the cafe or the restaurant wouldn't have organic food or um dairy-free options and things like that when you know it, without a, a, a diagnosed intolerance that can be very restricting on on our health unfortunately
1: exactly and that's where probably where the issue is that well-intentioned advice about what we shouldn't shouldn't eat if it's not coming from the perspective of um you know, agreeing with overall those foods that we probably should be eating less of where yeah. everyone should have that sort of advice when it's cutting out otherwise healthy food and that becomes blanket advice to people then that's not a good thing particularly for our gut microbiome and just people's relationship with food and that's where a lot of these trends and fads come and go that's what they do that's what they distort people's perception of good healthy food which hasn't really yeah. changed much over the decades and years you know the no. on healthy dietary pattern is pretty much unchanged and most people I think, inherently know what that is Eating it is a different matter, though, because of the environment that we live in makes it difficult to... Sure, True, it's the eating behaviours
0: that we often have to look at. And
1: that's at. a complex thing, exactly. It's not just the, the knowledge. The knowledge is generally pretty good. It's, it's access to food, it's behaviours, it's psychological aspects, there's so many different things. So yes. nutrition research tries to understand all the minutiae of different nutrients and, and health, but in it, it has to be translated into diets. And I actually don't speak so much about nutrient dad nowadays, where a lot of nutrition research is moving. And one thing that I follow quite a lot is this idea of um, dietary patterns. Mm. Think of dietary patterns as a theme, it's a way of eating. Like a Mediterranean diet, there's no one Mediterranean diet, but there's a Mediterranean dietary pattern. Compare that to a Western-style dietary pattern. That's what the typical Australian eats. So now the people that follow a particular dietary pattern, such as a Mediterranean diet or a Japanese-style diet, have better health outcomes for people that follow a standard traditional Western diet. So it's not talking about particular foods. It's not talking about saturated fat. It's not talking about salt. It's talking about themes, you know, the whole collection of food together. And that's a much more powerful thing to talk about and to communicate the overall diet rather than just eat these foods and don't eat these foods. You know, focus on this whole variety of healthy foods. Make sure you've got most of those in your diet uh, according to your own personal preference. And we know that that's 80% of the battle there. Um, getting the getting the core basics right and then in the end, if you want to have dairy have dairy if you want to have a bit of sugar have a bit of sugar but really getting the basics right is is where most of the health which comes from nutrition not optimizing um, your tweaks and hacks that you've got your kombucha and you've got your um, you know, super berries and so on it's really the whole diet that matters not just the, the tweaks around the edges
0: yeah and when you look at the blue zones which are those zones that have been identified as having the largest proportion of of people who live past 100 when you look at the blue zones they're eating those foods that are actually often feared in our western diet such as they're they're eating grains they're eating rice they're eating uh, uh dairy in 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 the form of lovely home fermented yogurt and things like that they're eating these nutrients that for some reason, we've become quite frightened of here in the Western world, but they're helping people live quite a long time in terms because they're part of a dietary pattern, as you say, and they, 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 uh, they, they share food communally around a table. Um, they make sure that everyone's sitting down to eat. So there's mm-hmm. so much more involved than just those nutrients that, that are being eaten around the world.
1: Exactly. That's why the, the the blue zone research, dietary pattern research, looks at a much bigger picture of just the context food is eaten and the overall diet someone has, not particular nutrients or individual foods. And it's a much it's a much more positive field of research to to read and to talk about. And it's probably how I communicate a lot now. And I'm seeing the same themes over and over and over again in dietary pattern research. Mm-hmm. And while they may be not everyone may agree with them and they could be improved over time, our dietary guidelines broadly mirror what those sorts of themes are about. You know, dietary guidelines that very few Australians follow to the letter. Um, and yet somehow they're blamed for all of our health problems when almost nobody. i had some very weird wow. conversations on Twitter about this. But first of all, it was dietary guidelines that caused the problem. But when you present the research showing that so few people follow them, it's yes. in the fault of dietitians for not communicating them well enough, then that people can't follow them. So they've done complete 180s about
0: so it's, all, your fault, isn't it, it's
1: all my fault that you're not not following the dietary guidelines it needs to make them a bit more interesting yes so that's <laughs> the dietary guidelines is an example of a dietary pattern there's mm-hmm. a lot of choice in there if you, you don't have to have da- dairy dairy foods are not part of the dietary guidelines you can have dairy Simulator foods meat. or alternative or alternatives you yes. have meat or alternatives uh, grains are a core feature of it but then there's all these other foods you can eat and they're generally minimally processed you know you can pick and choose whatever foods you like from them Um, And that will probably be the biggest battle for most people is just trying to get most of those right, allowing for all of these social determinants of health that also affect your access to food and the food choices you make. Are
0: there any benefits to drinking lemon
1: water? None. Well, yeah, so one, if you're vitamin C deficient, uh, that will help <laughs> that's a that's about <laughs> it so lemon, lemon water there's nothing miracle about it get, except if you read the internet it's going to cure cancer it's going to improve your digestive health it's going to boost your metabolism do all of these things all it does is it, it, it keeps you hydrated it contains um, it's a reasonable source of vitamin c uh, it contains almost no other nutrients of note so all of these things that's been linked to lemon, um, lemon water is related to it's either vitamin c content or the fact that it's an alkalizing food. So it keeps you alkaline, which is just really of no note whatsoever because your blood pH does not change no matter how alkaline or acid that your food is. And despite lemon juice being an acid, when it's metabolized, it slightly changes the alkalinity of the body. So your your wee, your urine becomes a little bit more alkaline. So all foods will either be acidic or alkaline, but it's only your urine that changes. The rest of your body does not change one bit
0: explain why it doesn't change
1: because yeah, if your bl- blood ph changed from either uh slightly above or below 7.4 you would be dead <laughs>
0: that's right <laughs>
1: yes. yeah, seriously you would be dead you, our body keeps our ph in a very tight range of 7.35 to 7.45 so that's the alkaline if it goes above that if it becomes um, um, al- if you get alkalosis you will die if it goes below that that's acidosis and you'll also die So this idea that you have to alkalize your body, if you could really change your body's body's pH, it would be fatal. So people with certain medical conditions, yes, that can be um, quite serious for them. But for the average person, our um, our breathing, our respiratory system, our blood buffers, and our urine keeps our pH in a nice, tight range. And food cannot change your pH unless you've got some serious um, metabolic diseases. Um, diabetic yeah. ketoacidosis is, is one example for that but for the for the most people you do not change your ph by eating eating food no matter what it is <laughs> the yeah. thing is when you look at all these acid and, and um, uh, alkaline foods guess what the alkaline foods mostly are they're fruit and vegetables <laughs> <laughs> so get what happens if people follow an alkaline diet in the end the, the, the science is bunkum it's complete just just rubbish mm-hmm. yet in the end it generally ensures somebody eats better than what they were before and guess what the result is they feel better and they feel healthier. So the end yeah. result is actually good. Yes. Just that they've had their complete world of um, distorted with complete made-up physiology that just doesn't exist. And that's, that's mm-hmm. not useful. That's harmful, you know, giving misinformation about you know, how our basic physiology works. So a lot of these diets, although the rate, rationale is, is quite bizarre and weird, and you can mm-hmm. put the blood type diet in that basket as well. Mm-hmm. What they generally do is they focus you on eating better they focus you on eating less rubbish and more healthier food. The outcome is you will feel better for it. The downside is in three to six months' time, you'll be back to your normal diet. Yeah. Sorry, that's the reality. That's, that's not being negative. That's what happens yes. for most people, particularly when it's more extreme. And there's lots of weird, wacky science behind it.
0: So it takes me to my next user-submitted question, which is about the celery juice craze by the medical medium.
1: have you heard of this one i have and i get all my advice from nutrition advice and science advice from mediums because they get it direct from the the ether from the source um (laughs) celery juice is just one of those in every year or two there's a new trendy food and celery juice is the it food at the moment celery juice there is a tiny amount of science that it's a slight diuretic so it may make you lose a bit of weight but of course that's not real weight loss it's just going to be um water loss the rest of the things about celery juice, all the research done in it, there's no human research. has all been done in animals and in, in lab and lab cells. Um, overall, there's a few um, small amount of nutrients in it. There's some fiber, there's water, and there's some antioxidants. There is nothing special about celery juice that any other vegetable could do the same for you. The thing is, though, if you are having celery juice and you're not having meat pies, you will probably be doing your health better. And that's where the benefit comes from if you're focusing on having celery juice. But it's, it's not a miracle food at all. It's just watery celery juice. Mm. Nothing very exciting. If you like it, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Knock yourself out.
0: And I think the lesson (laughs) here is that that that's that's right go for it if you'd like to but these types of quases aren't going to cure certain things and so they shouldn't stand in the way of people from getting um appropriate medical advice so i've seen um claims that will it will for example cure depression so people are going off yeah. their medication and juicing every day and things like that and i guess that's where it can be quite dangerous isn't it but these Absolutely. false claims it's not like there's been a study on 5,000 Australian people, which has shown that drinking celery juice every morning reduces uh, de- depressive symptoms. There's, there's nothing like that out there, is there? It's just some no. man has said this.
1: But they've said it. and In fact, there's, there's a great one. Well, mental health is a, is a big, a lot of research now coming out in the area of nutrition and mental health. And we've finally got a couple of intervention studies. Now, mm-hmm. in, before with mental health, um, op, there was observational research of people that had healthier diets had less depression. Was people that ate a lot of you know, rubbish and junk food had high rates of depression. Mm-hmm. But was the diet causing that or was it depression leading to you know, eating unhealthier food? Yes. We've now got at least two to three good quality intervention studies showing that people that make positive dietary changes, uh, eating much healthier, particularly a Mediterranean style diet, can see marked improvements in depression. It's not a cure. Not everybody responds the same, but this is good quality, intervention, high quality research published in journals that had nothing to do with cell reduce. It was about whole dietary changes. So that's the difference. A lot of the anecdotes in the Instagram and the celebrity promoting the miracles of this food versus good quality, hard slogging research by top researchers showing that we do have some positive research now to do with nutrition and mental health. And there's no superfoods involved. It's whole dietary changes that seem to be the key. So I thought I'll throw that in there.
0: So Chantel, hi, Chantel. She's saying, what's your main call to action for nutrition and health professionals in improving the way we communicate about the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and Healthy Dietary Patterns? Tim, have you seen the uh, recent Netflix documentary called Game Changers?
1: No, and I don't intend to watch it. (sighs) There we go. There's a blunt answer because I I find those sorts of shows just I probably would start punching the screen. Here's a synopsis of it that... Um, there's no revelation. There's no hidden information that the nutrition world didn't want you to know about what it is, is just a, a road to met the Damascus moment of a retired UFC fighter who spoke, had some anecdotes of people that followed vegan diets and did really well in sport. The thing is there are hundreds of thousands of elite sports people in the world that aren't following a vegan diet and also doing extremely well. Um, you can do extremely well on a plant-based diet, sports nutrition has known about that for many years. You can do well, on a diet that includes some animal foods as well. Overall, if you have to say there's maybe a slight, slight muscle benefit to, plant, uh, to animal-based foods, but it's very hard to say if that translates into an overall benefit. So this is just another documentary of promoting you know, a plant-based diet, which is great if you want to go for it, but there's no expose, there's, this isn't the secret source of elite performance around the world. In the end, people that switch to a vegan diet who are eating really rubbish to start with will perform better. And that's the sort of anecdotes when I've read this documentary is about. So overall, if it if it gels with you, if it that's great. But it's really just another controversial doco that Netflix puts out. I generally don't watch them because I just don't enjoy it very much. So there you go. We well, they're there are
0: keep people <laughs> watching, and it's created such a hoo ha online. It's, huge. Newspapers. it's huge. They they create controversy. The Netflix documentaries on. Um, are very entertaining.
1: Exactly. They're entertaining and they're not always factual and they present, they're just anecdotes with a little bit of science. But from what I've read, the science presented, there was a lot that was extremely Mm. cherry-picked. That's that's a great formula. You need to cherry-pick your science, cherry-pick your anecdotes, and you can put a spin a good story. The end result is not controversial. If you want to follow a vegan diet, go for it. You'll probably be healthier Mm. if you're eating a typical Australian diet to start with. I have no issue with that. It's just when it's distorted as somehow this is just the way everyone should be going. That's not quite the case. Sports nutrition is the field I've worked in for many years, uh, and vegetarian athletes can do very well. Um, omnivore athletes can do very well as well. As so long as they're eating fairly well, overall the whole diet that's predominantly plant-based. So that's why uh, that would be my advice about game changes that you know there isn't a, a big thing in nutrition that we're all moving on to a completely different field. It's just rehashing what we've known about already putting very slightly spin on it.
0: So. Yeah, and, I mean, Arnie's in it. So everyone go to be like Arnie. I'm sure <laughs> you do, Tim. Um, so there's that appeal, isn't it, of a celebrity, someone who looks strong, who's been successful, and we want to do what he's done, and we want to eat the way he eats, and we want to wear what he... So if he's done this, mm-hmm. maybe we should try it. Um, but just remember that these things are TV shows, and I've never... I, I haven't seen the game changes because I'm like you, I, I actually couldn't be bothered. I, I've i seen that all of the other nutrition documentaries on Netflix and not one of them has been a credible source of nutrition information. That's
1: right. From what I read, this would just be exactly the same. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be entertaining, but it's not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the best way to get all the nutrition advice but it's creating noise and controversy which is great but in yeah. the end if it means people eat better i'm all for it because mm-hmm. myself personally
0: if, but i'm if not going to get
1: very invested in it because in the six months or a year we'll be talking about another documentary but then yeah process.
0: I guess my concern is um, when people are switching to a vegan diet, for example, and they are cutting out meat, they're cutting out dairy, those foods that normally give uh, you calcium, and they're they're suddenly cutting out those foods but not then replacing them with the adequate amounts of plant-based sources of those and then become deficient. So in things like iron and calcium, so just cutting out something like iron or calcium and that sort of thing, it can potentially have some negative effects if it's not done so properly. If it's not
1: not done properly, and that's like anything, if you want to follow a vegetarian or vegan diet, um, you know, go for it. It just has to be planned a little bit and and do it sensibly. Just like any diet though, you have to, uh, you can either have an omnivore diet and be nutrient deficient as well, if it's not planned. So exactly. It applies, it applies yeah. to all things, I think especially about vegetarian diets. So, yeah. In fact, anemia is just almost just as common in meat eaters as well. So particularly yes. certain groups. So it's not that if you're on a vegetarian diet, you're going to be anemic. Uh, it's common in meat eaters too. So well, again, exactly. that's being, being, you know, we're eating, eating well and eating healthy, knowing what foods are going to be a good source of nutrition for the nutrients that are interesting concern to you.
0: good was that if you want to hear more from tim please go check out his brand new podcast called thinking nutrition and you can go and follow tim on social media on facebook uh, on instagram looking for thinking nutrition he's on twitter too he's on linkedin so go and follow you can look up his website as well which is thinkingnutrition.com go and check him out that's it from me uh, i hope you've enjoyed this week's episode if you have love it if you could do a few more thumb scrolls and go and leave a review or rate the podcast and help get this podcast out there into the world and help it to rate in the search functions thank you keep on sending me all your emails i do read them Uh, and i love hearing what you guys have to say about the podcast and come and join the 99% fad free private facebook group where we talk about the podcast in there and i give little teasers and i ask for what you guys think you're able to help me kind of shape the podcast which is so useful and you can ask me questions so yeah Go and find that one on Facebook. All right, signing out for now. Until next time, bye.